this one is uh, well. We're, we're gonna we're gonna talk about uh, we're gonna talk about the next part of uh, of Ruth. I'm, I'm having trouble. Is that what's happening? My mic is not working. Is that what you're trying to tell me? Um, so I got to stay put. Um, somebody asked Sammy Hagar about Jesus. Now I, I guarantee you, you won't have many sermons this morning that involve Sammy, but. Um, Somebody asked Sammy Hagar about Jesus. Hagar replied with this quote. I think Jesus Christ was one of the greatest men that ever walked the earth. The interviewer asked, so then what do you make of his claims that that I am the way and no one comes to the Father except through me? Well, Hagar says, I think that's something man made up. I'm not sure, though I can't say in my heart that I believe that, but I I also can't say that I know for a fact that it's wrong. You don't have to go through him and use him like he's saying, I'm the egotist or I'm the vehicle. He's teaching that if you don't obey these rules, you're not going to go to heaven and you won't be in touch with God. Now, don't get your theology from rock stars. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that Sammy is indicative of a lot of people's understanding of Christianity. Just obey the rules. If you just follow these rules, then you're going to go to heaven and you're going to have a good relationship with God. Now, it's not just rock stars. British author Bernard Cornwell, Cromwell rather, uh, Cornwell says, The Christian God has nothing better to do than to make rules for us. He makes rules, more rules, prohibitions and commandments, and he needs hundreds of black-robed priests and monks making sure we obey those laws. Now again, don't get your theology from science fiction authors, but the point is that's the perception of a lot of folks. Just follow the rules. If you just obey the rules, then then you're going to get in and and everything's going to be okay. It's all about following rules the rules. Lots of people, both religious and not, believe that it's all about simply following or not following, as the case may be, the rules. And, and, and many of those uh, will be more than happy to make rules for you to follow so that you don't break the rules. We have, we have rules about life. You know, you're not supposed to cuss. You're not supposed to steal. You're not supposed to lie. You're not supposed to, to, to drink, or you're not supposed to, whatever. We got lots of those. We have rules about religion. You're, you're supposed to go to church, and, and you're supposed to go to Sunday school, and, and you're supposed to give of your means, and, and, and you're supposed to, to do this or that. We, we have rules about going to church and what you're supposed to do in church when you're at church. We have rules about, about worship, where, where you don't use instruments, or don't let women talk, or, or, or don't worship with anyone who doesn't have the same name on the side of their building as you have on your building. Um, it, it's all about following the rules, and, and we've got to keep these rules, and, and we've got to keep everything just right. But what happens is those rules end up being barriers, and those barriers keep people from Jesus. The rules can, can be overwhelming. They seem so difficult. They seem, they seem impossible. And because of that, a lot of folks give up. They're, they're, they can't keep believable. They're, they're too much. And, and so they walk away. But that's not Ruth. 
we've already discussed how in, in the second chapter of Ruth, her outlandish request, right? That, that Ruth requests to be able to gather along with the gleaners, which is unheard of. That's, that's an outlandish request. It's, it's not what anyone is supposed to do. And, and she broke the rules by even making that request. We've talked about Boaz's response, about how his response was grounded less in romantic attraction and more in hesed, in, in loving kindness, in, in steadfast love, that law, but with the heart, with the intent of the law. And when Ruth returns home, Naomi responds in praise. Because Ruth returns home with way more grain than Naomi expected. Most, most people who were scavengers, who were on the edge of the gleaners, would come home with enough maybe to make one cake of, of barley, one, one cake of, or loaf. Uh, but Ruth comes home with a ton of, 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 of harvest. And Naomi responds in praise, praising the Hesed, not only of Boaz, but, but praising that loving kindness, that steadfast love, that Hesed of God. And then she starts thinking. Because Israel has a law about a kinsman redeemer. Now, Hebrew law designates a male relative who will deliver, who will rescue, who will redeem. Uh, he, he will be reflective of God. He will redeem property. He will redeem persons. Um, in Leviticus 25, Leviticus 27, you'll find a lot about that. I'm not going to bore you with that. But, but remember, we talked about the fact that, that women have no standing in this society. And so a woman can't own property. A woman cannot, uh, has no voice in legal matters. And so therefore, she can't sell property. A, a woman uh, cannot, uh, cannot bring anything to court, and, and so she has no way of doing anything. So the Hebrew law designates that a, a kinsman, the next, the next nearest relative of the husband, can then take her and, and uh, redeem that property, redeem her as his, so that the name of the husband will carry on. This this. Goel, or, or, or kinsman redeemer. And Boaz is a near relative. And so that gets Naomi thinking. And Naomi's wheels start turning, and she hatches a plan. And it's a plan that breaks all kind of rules. Because, well, Ruth chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, Ruth chapter 3, we're going to go verse 1 through 5. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My dog, on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he's finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. Naomi says, Now, Boaz... It, it, is taken notice of you. He is a kinsman. He is one of our relatives. He has the possibility of being that kinsman redeemer. So go get pretty. Go put on some nice clothes and put on some perfume. Take a bath. Look pretty. He has noticed the inside of you. Let's see if we can get him to notice the outside as well. Now, stop right here for a minute. 
One of the great things about the Bible is that it is not a book of fairy tales. Although sometimes we try to make it that. We try to, we try to make it a, a, a series of morality tales that, that like, like Grimm's fairy tales or some of that kind of stuff. This is not princes and princesses and happy endings. This is the chronicle of real people and their real relationship with their real God. Now, these people are not set forth, whether it's Abraham or Jacob or David or Ruth, these people are not set up for us to emulate. It's not be more like Ruth. These people are indicative of what it's like to live in relationship with God. Now, the great thing about the Bible is that it doesn't clean those things up. Uh, the, the, one of the things for me that confirms the validity of the biblical narrative is that it's not polished. It's not family friendly. It is not cleaned up. It, it is full of lying and betrayal and incest and rape and murder and human trafficking and that's just Genesis. It, it is full of, of stuff and real people and real problems and if you were going to make up a story your heroes wouldn't be so human. Now, too many times we try to clean up the Bible, and that's what's happened to, to the next section of Scripture. It's a bit too raw. It's a bit too real. It doesn't fit our, our family values, Sunday school mentality, but quite frankly, it, it doesn't play by our rules. In the next section, for years, rabbis, commentators, and preachers have attempted to find some way to explain this away. But the truth is, is that these are real people in real situations. And, and just like Scripture, Ruth is about to break a bunch of rules. She's going to follow through on Naomi's plan, and she's actually going to take it a little bit further. The harvest is ending, okay? And, and at the end of the harvest, they, they do the winnowing. And, and after all the winnowing is done, they finally know how much they've actually got, how much came through. It's, it's payday, if you will, okay? And so in conjunction with that, there's a big party, and, and there's a big feast, and, and everybody goes, and, and, and they come together, and they eat, and they drink, and, and, and they have a good time. And, and Boaz is going to show up with all of his people, and he's going to eat, and he's going to drink, and, and he's going to go find a place to sleep it off. Now, hear me, he's not guarding the harvest. That's what I've been told. He's not placing himself with the hired hands. He's, he's drank a little too much. And, and his, the Bible says his heart was merry. That's, that's a biblical way of saying he, he had a little too much to drink. And so he goes and he lays down in the threshing floor, full of food, full of wine, happy and contented. And verse 7, when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. Now there's a lot going on here, and most of it doesn't involve socks and shoes. The Bible uses euphemisms a lot of times for things that are uncomfortable to talk about. And, and that's what's happening here. In Genesis 9, when Noah gets drunk and is uncovered, curse that comes about because of that it's not just because he's naked when Saul goes into a cave and and covers his feet he's actually 
using the restroom. In Deuteronomy, when it talks about a baby coming from between a woman's feet. In Ezekiel, when he condemns a prostitute who opens her feet to everyone. When David encourages Uriah to go home and wash your feet. You kind of get the picture here, right? Over and over in Scripture, feet is not about feet. And, and so what's happening here, I'm not saying anything did or did not happen because we don't know that. The text does not tell us that. It does tell us that Naomi and Ruth created a situation where it kind of looked like something did. And, and so verse 8, At midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. Now it kind of makes sense, right? Why Boaz freaks out a little bit. Whoa, hey, who, who are you? Verse 9, he said, who are you? And she answered, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now she's reminding him of something that he said to her back in chapter 2 months earlier. He says in verse 12, the Lord repay you for what you've done, and a full reward will be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. You see that reflection. She's using his own words and, and putting that thought in his head. Naomi had told her just to, just to show up. She's not waiting for him to tell her what to do. She says, I'm Ruth. Here's what you need to do about that. And she takes a huge chance by breaking the rules. Now, Boaz is impressed with her, both physically and spiritually. But he's still an honorable man. He is still a righteous man, and he says, there is another who is a closer relative than me, who has a more valid claim, and therefore uh, he has to be given the first opportunity. So Naomi and Ruth's plan works. He, he does see Ruth in a different light, and he sets about fulfilling that promise. He goes to the other kinsman, and he asks him if he wants to buy Elimelech's property. Of course, this guy says, well, yeah. Why would I not? He jumps at the chance. And Boaz, as a good negotiator, you know, he's got him up to the boat, and then he lips him. He, he, he's got him there, and he says, well, if you buy the land, you're going to take the Moabite for your wife. Verse 5 of chapter 4. Then Boaz says, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer says, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. You can take my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. See, redemption always comes at a cost. Redemption always costs the Redeemer something. And this guy says, no, I'm not going to take a Moabite as my wife because that will make me sinful. It will make me unclean because I cannot take a foreigner to be my wife. Therefore, I'm not going to take that land. I don't want any part of it because it will jeopardize my own inheritance. I'll be cut out of my family because I do this thing. He's not prepared to break the rule. But Boaz is, and he does. He redeems the property and the holdings of Elimelech and in the process marries Ruth. Now, we talked at the beginning when Boaz is first introduced that he is a righteous man. He is a Sadiq. And by taking Ruth as his wife, he sacrifices that. He's no longer going to be considered a righteous man because he's married 
a foreigner. He's married someone that the law specifically says don't marry. He's jeopardized his status. He's jeopardized his standing in the community. He's break, broken the, the rules of propriety. He's broken the rule of law. And you get to this point and you go, okay, this is all a nice story, but what's the point? Why is this in our Bibles? Why does God want us to hear this? And the point is it's foreshadowing years to come. Because we too have a Redeemer. A Redeemer who's willing to sacrifice His status. God made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Philippians 2 says, Though He was in the form of God, He didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. But empty in form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. See, redemption always comes at a price. And it always comes at a price to the Redeemer. So that it could be ours. We too have a Redeemer who was willing to break the rules. Who was chastised. Who was vilified. Who was persecuted. Who was ultimately crucified because he wouldn't play by the rules. See, sometimes following God means breaking the rules. Sometimes you have to love God enough to break the rules because we're afraid of breaking the rules. We, we come to church and, and, and we, we sit here and, and we put on our churchy face and we put on our churchy clothes and, and we pretend that everything's okay and we pretend that everything's all right and that's fine, but it's not Christianity. Because we have a Redeemer. A, a Redeemer who wants to take all that from me. A, a, a Redeemer who, who wants to buy me back. Who wants to give me His own righteousness. When I stand there and pretend like everything's okay, when I fake it until I make it, I'm rejecting the power of the cross. I'm saying, I'm good enough to do this on my, uh, by myself. And so Jesus didn't die for me because I was helpless. Jesus died for me because I was lazy. And that's not good news. That's tragedy. This morning, we have a Redeemer. Sometimes loving God, following Jesus, means breaking the rules. That means saying the things that you don't want to say. That means confessing the things that you don't want to confess. That means loving the people that you don't want to love. Sometimes following God means breaking This morning, there are a lot of rules that are keeping people from following Jesus. This morning, I'm calling you. God is calling you. Don't be afraid to break the rules. Sometimes it's about loving God enough to not be afraid to break the rules. Your Redeemer has sacrificed Himself to buy you back. It's up to you. Accept that. Come to that. Submit to that. 
Let us help you find that as we offer prayers. We stand.